Hello and welcome to the Books by Old Dad Pod Guys podcast. Wow, I just messed that up. And I did it on episode 20. Let's try this again. Pretending like you didn't hear that. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the Books by Old Dead Guys podcast, episode 20. 20. I am Scott. And I'm David. And we are really thankful that you are listening on this, the first Tuesday of the new year. Happy New Year's, everybody. Welcome to 2023. What a better way to start your 2023 than with Puritans. I mean, you just can't beat it, yeah. right? I don't see how you could do it any better. Let's start a new year with old dead guys. I like it. <laughs> I, I love like that. It. Start a new year with old dead guys. I think that's going to be our, 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 market, our marketing slogan from now on. Start your new year <laughs> with your, old dead guys. Start your new year with old dead guys. The people are not here to hear us ramble, although that is one of my spiritual gifts. <laughs> they are here to hear us read Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor. And, uh, and we have, we've been plowing through chapter two, uh, David and I were just talking about how much we've covered and how much we have left to cover. There are a lot of treasures left to mine in this book. Uh, but the section that we're talking through now is Baxter spending a great deal of time. It's chapter two, correct? Chapter two. Yeah, we're still in, cha- still spending, in chapter still two. Still in chapter two. Spending a great deal of time talking about the different types of people that a pastor ought to be spending his time with. And after spending a little bit of time, actually a, a good deal of time, talking about our ministry to the unconverted, last week when we were reading together, he, he shifted to the ministry to the converted. And we kind of ended the last little section there on, um, on those who had these particular malady of sin and, uh, and that were besetting them and how important it is for the pastor to be willing to confront them in those things so that they might change. So that's kind of where we are now. We're in this third category of, of believer uh, in that to whom the pastor ought to spend his time. And so category three reads this way. We must study to build up those who are already truly converted. Oh, I, I think that Did I do that already? Yeah, I think Oh, man, I got backwards. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, you're fine. Wait. So we're looking for the three in parentheses. There it is. Another class. See, it's all the numbers. So, okay, teachable moment. All mistakes are teachable moments. And we do everything unscripted and unedited. So you get to hear us. You get to hear hear us in all our glory. All our flawed glory. Uh, But but one of the things that makes the Puritans difficult is how many subpoints (laughs) to the points they have. Actually, there are subpoints to the subpoints, which is how I got mixed up because yes. I went to a subpoint instead of a sub subpoint. Yeah, everybody with me. So I'm in the paragraph thingy three, the one that's encapsulated in paragraph things. What is that? Parentheses. Parentheses. parentheses yeah. Not paragraphs. Wow. Okay, here we go. Another class. Is that it? Are we good? Yeah, we're good. All right, we're good. Here we go. Another class who demands special help are declining Christians that are either fallen into some scandalous sin or else abate their zeal and diligence and show that they have lost their former love. As is the case of, as the back, case of backsliders is very sad. So our diligence must be very great for their recovery. It is sad to them to lose so much of their life and peace and serviceableness to God and to become so serviceable to Satan and his cause. It is sad to us to see that all our labor has come to this, and that when we have taken so much pains with them, and have had so much hopes of them, all should be so far frustrated. It is saddest of all 
to think that God should be so dishonored by those whom he hath so loved, and for whom he hath done so much, and that Christ should be so wounded in the house of his friends. Besides, a partial backsliding hath a natural tendency to total apostasy, and would affect it if a special grace did not prevent it. Now the more sad the case of such Christians is, the more we exert ourselves for their recovery. We must restore those that are overtaken in a fault, in the spirit of meekness, and yet see that the sore be thoroughly searched and healed, and the joint be made well set again, that pain soever it may, what pain soever it may cost. We must look especially to the honor of the gospel, and see that they give such evidence of true repentance and make such full and free confession of their sin, that some reparation be thereby made to the church and their holy profession for the wound they have given to religion. Much skill is required for restoring such a soul. Mm. Quite a number of, uh, of things there. So oh. I, I love, it is saddest of all. So he's, he's talking about backsliding Christians. Mm. He talks about how sad of an estate it is to be a backsliding Christian. Mm-hmm. And as he's describing just how sad it is, he says it is saddest of all to think that God should be so dishonored by those whom he hath so loved and for whom he hath done so much that, that Christ should be so wounded in the house of his friends. Mm. You know, to think about how how dearly, how much God has loved the Christian, each and every believer, to think about them backsliding and doing dishonor to the God that has done so much for them is just sad. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. And I don't don't know that I've ever experienced a person who is, as Baxter would say, backsliding, who actually even thinks about their sin that way. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we we think, well, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just kind of walking away from this and doing whatever I want. And and the reality is you're hurting lots of people. Yeah. Lots of people who are wounded. But the bigger issue is Christ is dishonored and and his reputation is in a very real sort of way wounded. Yeah. Hmm. Which is why, I mean, as an aside, you know, this is, it's it's an an allusion, a reference really in a lot of ways Baxter's making here to the whole process of, of church discipline mm-hmm. and why it matters and why it is so essential. So, yeah. yeah. And then, which is why he says much skill is required. Much skill is required for restoring such a soul. Boy, it's true. You can, yeah. you can get that, you can get that wrong in any number of ways. Right. Yeah. I think the, I think the sentence that can slide by you, if you're not, if you're not careful, partial backsliding hath a natural tendency yes. to total, total apostasy. apostasy. Yeah, and it's easy to it's easy to just slide by mm-hmm. that sentence. But what he just said was partial backsliding. So just falling into sin and not doing the work of getting out of it. Mm. Just falling into a sin and being okay with it. Partial backsliding hath a natural tendency to total apostasy. What he's saying is be Falling into sin and not working to get out of it means you are well on your way to just completely leaving the faith altogether. And we've seen that in high-profile sort of ways over the last few years with men who would compromise on some point of biblical truth 
you know, in order to, to acclimate themselves or accommodate the culture. And then the next thing you know, they're just walking away. Yeah. You know, and it's not, not, it's not helpful to name names. But not only have we seen that, we're just going to continue to see that. If Baxter saw that in his day, Jesus saw that in his day, I feel like we're still going to see it in ours too. Yeah. But, but that's, it's good. But yeah, it, it, it displays for us the seriousness of sin. Yeah. That when you cease to fight against it, it will kill you. Uh-huh. That, I mean, what, what John Owen said is true. If you are not about the business of killing sin, sin will be about the business of killing you. Yes. Like, those are the stakes. That's it. That, that, that is how important this is. Yeah. That is, that is, I mean, that is what you're risking mm. by not fighting against your own sin. Right. You are risking leaving the faith altogether. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. So one more, one more parenthetical sub, sub, sub point. All right. The last class whom I shall here notice is requiring our attention of the strong for they also have need of our assistance, partly to preserve the grace they have, partly to help them in making further progress and partly to direct them in improving their strength for the service of Christ and the assistance of their brethren. And also to encourage them to persevere that they may receive the crown. All these are the objects of the ministerial work, and in respect to each of them, we must take heed. <coughs> well, I just sneezed to all the flock. That the sneeze is not in the book. Mm. That's added commentary by me. <laughs> added commentary. So yeah. So so what's interesting to me? Okay. So now we're at the strong, right? So basically, they're only like they're only like six types of people we should be focused on as pastors. <laughs> you've got the unconverted. You've got the, the curious, you've got the strong Christian, the weak Christian, the baby Christian, the backsliding, the backsliding Christian. I mean, basically, I yeah. feel like what Baxter is saying without saying it is everybody. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like there, it, there could be a person that would not fit in one of these categories. Yeah, and the reason that matters is and we he, are. And by the way, he's not done. He's got more categories. Oh, yeah, we got one more category at <laughs> like, least. Yeah. yeah, like he's not finished. Yeah, you're, you're, and you're kind of going, well, what else is there? But it's, a, it's, a, it's, I think, kind of thinking about how you apply this, I mean, for what it's worth, I think, and I don't have any research to back this up, but it's, really, it's just a sneaky suspicion. I think that all of us, as not just pastors, but all of us as Christians, will be prone to want to spend more of our time with one or two of these groups mm-hmm. than with others. It's almost never going to be the backsliding Christians that we're going to be wanting to run after. It's almost never going to be folks who are mired in sin. You know, I think of churches that have built their identity, for instance, on identifying, training, discipling, and sending young men for the work of ministry. That's great. But these things you ought to have done without neglecting the others, right? That's, that's kind of Baxter's word there is it's, it's fine to do that. You, you should do that. But there's also a need to go after all these other groups of people mm-hmm. who are far less attractive. And that's, I think it's a helpful word for us as pastors, but it's probably a helpful word for all of us as Christians. There are people whom we are more inclined toward. Go to those people, but also go to all these other people that you're, you're less inclined to go towards. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, one more section. Here we go. This one might be a little long today, guys, so feel free to 
just pauses because I spent the whole first time basically getting the whole subsection wrong. So here we go. Number four, we must have a special eye upon families to see that they are well ordered and the duties of each relation performed. The life of religion and the welfare and glory of both the church and the state depend much on family, government, and duty. If we suffer the neglect of this, we shall undo all. What we are like to do ourselves to the reforming of a congregation, all the work be cast on us alone, and masters of family neglect that necessary duty of their own by which they are bound to help us. If any good be begun by the ministry in any soul, a careless, prayerless, worldly family is like to stifle it, or very much hinder it. Whereas, if you could but get the rulers of families to do their duty, to take up the work where you left it, and help it on, what abundance of good might be done. I beseech you, therefore, if you desire the reformation and welfare of your people, do all you can to promote family religion. To this end, let me entreat you to attend to the following things. Okay, hold on. So, family ministry. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... So, he's, he's talking about being particularly careful to focus on families. And he says some really helpful things. Life, religion, the welfare and glory of both church and state depend much on family, government, and duty. But then he talks about the idea of, of you know... How, how it could stifle it, right? If any good be begun by ministry in any soul, a careless, prayerless, worldly family is like to stifle it or very much hinder it. I think, I think we are reaping in so many ways this in the, the, the philosophy of children's ministry that has existed in churches for years mm. that says we're going to go get the children from their families and we're going to bring them all to church and we're going to love them, we're going to care for them, and we're going to feed them, and we're going to teach them Bible stories, and then we're going to send them home without ever really having made meaningful contact or done meaningful evangelistic work with their parents, with the people that they live with. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't love children. I happen to like children very much, and I'm very thankful that we have lots of children in our church. Yes. But the reality of the fact is the harder work And yet the more meaningful work is this. If you want to change the life of a child, go after their dad, their mom, their grandparents, the people that they're living with, the guardians. Go after those people with the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, when that family changes, that family changes. You know, it's it's why we put such an emphasis on, on us as men, on us as dads, being the spiritual leaders of our home. Dad, listen to me. Go to church like I that's a really clear statement and I mean for it to be go to church if you go to church and listen and take notes and sing men sing if I if if you do those things in front of your children your children will do those things when you are dead Mm. there's there's a there's a reality to this, right? Of you model for your children what it looks like to adore, love, and follow Jesus. And and that's what Baxter's getting at. And so we as pastors have to put that in front of the men that we serve and lead and say things very clearly like, Men, go to church. Right? 
And we're so afraid of legalism that we don't do things like that. But I'm, you should go to church. Not you, David, because I know you're there because I'll see you on Sunday. I'm, I'm looking at David, but I'm not talking to, I'm talking to David, but I'm not talking about David. So, all right, here we go. Here are the things that Baxter says we can do to attend to this family ministry. Number one, get information how each family is ordered that you may know how to proceed in your endeavors for their further good. In other words, get to know them. Yeah, that's a good idea. Seems like a thing pastors should do. Two, go occasionally among them when they are likely to be most at leisure and ask the master of the family whether he prays with them and reads the scriptures or what he doth. Labor to convince such as neglect this of their sin. And if you have opportunity, pray with them before you go and give them an example of what you would have them do. Perhaps, too, it might be well to get a promise from them that they will make more conscience of their duty for the future. In other words, go hang out with them, see how things are going, talk to them, and ask them very clear and direct questions about whether or not they're promoting the worship of Jesus in their home. And then, if they say no, show them. Show them how to do it. That's good. All right, three. If you find any, through ignorance and want of practice, unable to pray... Persuade them to study their own wants and to get their hearts affected with them and in the meanwhile advise them to use a form of prayer rather than not pray at all. Tell them, however, that it is their sin shame that they have lived so negligently as to be so unacquainted with their own necessities as not to know how to speak to God in prayer when every beggar can find words to ask in alms. And therefore what a form of prayer is but for necessity is a crutch to a cripple. Well, they cannot do well without it, but that they must resolve not to be content with it, but to learn to do better as speedily as possible, seeing that prayer should come from the feelings of the heart and be varied according to our necessities and circumstances. Teach them to pray. Give them a model prayer. If they, you know, the Psalms are a great place. Like Mm -hmm. if you're sitting here and you're going, well, that's me. I don't really know how to pray. Man, just start at Psalm 1 and pray it. Yeah, I love love Baxter's point here that some prayer is better than no prayer. Yes. That if you do not know how to pray, that is not an excuse to not pray. Yes. If you don't know how to pray, like Psalms, right? Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven, yes. hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, the will be done. It's there. Yeah. Pray that. Okay, just just pray that. Like, yeah. that's good. Just the, start there. It's yeah. good. But, you know, and, and I, I love, you know, I like what he's getting at when he basically, what he's hitting with this, you don't know how to pray is and I've I've felt this. Men are particularly bad at this. Catch a man on an on an odd moment and say, "How can I pray for you?" And you hear him go, "No, I'm good." Mm. I, truly, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard that. And by the way, I've said that a few times too. Right, but but there is. He says it is their sin and shame that they have lived so negligently as to be so unacquainted with their own necessities as to not know how to speak to God in prayer. Ooh. Right, that's not a good thing. No, you're not good. No. Who, who is good but God alone? I mean, Jesus said that, right? So, so teach them to pray. Number four, see that in every family there are some useful moving books beside the Bible. If they have none, persuade them to buy some. If they're not able to buy them, give them some if you can. If you are not able yourself, get some gentleman or the rich person that are ready to do good works to do it and engage them to read them at night when they have leisure and especially on the Lord's Day. Mm. Hmm. So find good books 
and give them away. And give them to people to read. That's one of my favorite things that we do here, by the way, <clears throat> finding good books and giving them away. I cannot tell you, and I'm sure you've heard me say this, be like, oh, I have that book. Oh, wait. I gave that book away. <laughs> right? I had. I had that book. I mean, it's just fun to know how a book has changed you and to be able to give it to somebody else and go, man, that book, that book. Yeah. So while we're reading this book. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's, you know, it's, it's a year ago of me going, man, we got to read this book together. This is just such a great book. It's been so helpful to me. Let's, let's do it, you know? And, like, that's, that's just that's so much of discipleship is not just putting the Bible in people's hands. It's definitely putting the Bible in people's hands. But it is also finding books that help you understand and think and read and process and we are a culture now where we are incredibly proud to say wow i just don't read mm-hmm. like that's not a real good reason to not read i, I just don't read it's not an excuse to n- not read we're people of the book mm-hmm. so read right yeah. real right. quick real yeah. quick yeah yeah, yeah. here you good one book besides the bible that you most frequently recommend to folks jc Rowell's holiness jc Rowell's holiness yeah you I would say Grow Your Faith by Jerry Bridges. Oh, yeah, Bridges. That's an amazing. Oh, everything by Bridges. Yeah, Grow Your yeah. Faith is like a, he, he like came kind of towards the end of his writing career and took chapters from different other books that he wrote. Oh, it's, kind of, yeah. it's like a greatest hits album. Man, that's great. For Jerry Bridges, which is just I, the best. I actually never read that one. Now I'm going to read it. You should really. I will read it. It's, it's, it's about spiritual disciplines. It's about how to grow your faith. Hey, you it's know what? A, Bridges passed away. Yeah, he did. And he's old. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's the thing we he, can do. Uh, yeah, he's definitely worthy of yeah. uh, of being read. Read. Yeah, man, that's awesome. But that helpful. That's a great. That's a great conversation starter. But yeah, Riles, Riles Holiness. I just read that. It's one of those things where it landed at just the right time. You know, um, I had just finished reading Knowing God by Packer, and I love that one. Mm-hmm. But that one can be really challenging to read. It can. Ryle, of all of the Puritan writers, J.C. Ryle, to me, is like the most accessible. Like, Mm. I can, you can just, it flies off the page. You know, you can just read it and feel it and it, you know, it's like, I love John Owen. But Ryle is like the opposite of Owen. If Owen's writing a sentence with 200 words and you're like having to go back to the beginning and go, wait, what's he saying? Because he's so doggone smart. And he's saying all these things, and you're like, I know this is good, and I know that I really need to be transformed by it. Ryle was just a pastor's pastor who knew how to speak to people who didn't have, you know, 27 letters behind their name. Like mm. he, and so when he writes, you can tell that. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Solid dude. Okay. Yeah, it's a great question. All right, so we are, hold on, hold on, hold on. Number five. How are we doing? All right, we're almost done. Hang on with us, guys. Direct them how to spend the Lord's day, how to dispatch their worldly business so as to prevent encumbrances, encumbrances and distractions. And when they have been at church, how to spend the time in their families. The life of religion dependeth much on this because poor people have no other free considerable time. And therefore, if they lose this, they lose all and will remain ignorant and brutish. Persuade the master of every family to cause his children and servants to repeat the catechism to him every Sabbath evening and to give him some account of what they have heard at church during the day. Neglect not, I beseech you, this important part of your work. Get masters of families to do their duty and they will not only spare you a great deal of labor, but will much further the success of your labors. If a captain can get the officers under him to do their duty, 
he may rule the soldiers with much less trouble than if all lay upon his own shoulders. You are not like to see any general reformation to you procure family reformation. Some little religion there may be here and there, but while it is confined to single persons and is not promoted in families, it will not prosper nor promise much future increase. Mm. Yeah, so there's two things here, right? Direct them how to spend the Lord's Day. So here's how, here's, how you, here's how you handle the idea of the Lord's Day and Sabbath, right? Like that's a, it's a good, it's funny because I feel our church moving in that direction. I've had more conversations about Sabbath and rest in the last three months with people than I've probably had in the eight years I've been here. Mm. So I feel like that's coming. I don't know how that's coming yet, but you can, you know, a whole lot of your teaching is what is the, what is the current temperature of the church and what do they need most? And I feel like we're headed that way, which is really interesting. Um, but then the other thing he's saying here is basically get the head of the household, mm-hmm. you know, get, get that, get the dad, get the, get the leader, you know, yeah. get the, go after the leader, teach him how to lead, mm-hmm. you know, like so much of, so much of being a good spiritual husband or good spiritual father is finding somebody that you could imitate, right? And spending time with them. And so, so you do that. You, you spend time with men that you want them to imitate you and the way you lead and the way you serve your family. And those things become contagious. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Five, the five ways that we, do the, that we do this, right? Five, yes, good. Good. David, any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean... Family ministry is just critical. It is critical. I mean, he's, he said it best. How can you, how can a, a captain get anything done if the officers under him don't don't act yeah. according to his lead? That's exactly right. Lead, the leader is only so good as those who follow him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't. You can't expect your work in the ministry to actually advance if it's not being advanced in the home. That's it. Well, it's so much of why Paul in Ephesians 4 says the role of the pastor is to equip the saints for the work of service. Our role is leading, teaching, serving, shepherding, equipping. Mm-hmm. Our role is not doing all the work of ministry. Yes. And so, yeah, it's, it's key. It's essential. Mm. That's a good section. That is a good section. It's fun. Well, thanks for bearing with us. It's a little longer. Really appreciate you hanging in there. Good job. Maybe sitting in the parking lot ready to go to work. We hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Thanks.